Hello, and welcome to the Being Well podcast. My name is Forrest Hansen. In our last episode, we introduced the strength of learning, particularly covering the outline of the heal process by which you have an experience, enrich it, absorb it into your body, and then, if necessary, link your new positive material with old negative material in order to replace it. During this episode, we're going to focus on the installation phase of learning, which means the enriching and absorbing steps of the HEAL process. So to walk us through that, I'm joined, as always, by Dr. Rick Hansen. Dad, how you doing? I'm really good. I love this topic. Yeah, I know that learning as a strength is maybe your favorite one of the bunch. Is there a particular reason for that? Is there something that attracted you to learning? It really boils down to this, for me, very kind of poignant, heartfelt feeling for people in a pickle. (laughs) I think the human condition is we find ourselves in a pickle on any given day. We're in a pickle. And what does it take that you can do yourself Mm -hmm. to get out of the pickle that you're in? For any one of us, we're right in the middle of our own lives Mm -hmm. with challenges and frustrations and needs and longings, et cetera. What can we do? What can we do for ourselves? And for me, the primary thing we can do for ourselves is to develop and heal and learn from here, wherever, always, you find yourself. Learning in this broad sense, we're using it as healing, developing, growing, um, is a response to suffering. Mm. It's a response to longing. It's a response to how do you deal with the real challenges around you? If you were to ask me, okay, You've been around the block. You've had your own issues. You know, you've been a therapist. You've been a teacher. Blah, 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 blah. Netting it all out. What do you think is the most useful thing of all? I would say it's learning. On the heels of that, I would say love. Mm -hmm. But even love is something that can be learned over time. Learning is the foundation of everything else. And so getting good at learning is the most useful thing you can do to help yourself, and in the process of helping yourself, have more and more inside yourself that you can use for others. So to get into the nitty-gritty of that process, I don't want to trivialize it. I don't want to say everyone has all of these wonderful experiences, because there are many people who have a hard life. And there are many people who really have to kind of go out of their way to have a good experience. But I think that for most people, a lot of small good things happen in the course of their day whether it's sitting and reading a book that they like or drinking their cup of coffee or just being able to go to bed and knowing that you're probably going to be alive when you wake up. You know, we can kind of make this as basic as it needs to be for us to find the good things in life. But I think what people struggle with is really internalizing those experiences Mm. and taking those small good things and turning them into the lasting traits that we're trying to build here. Mm. So simply put, how do you do that? Yeah. Before I answer that, I just want to create a little bit of context, which is that even though the question seems so obvious, especially for people who are professionally involved in the growth game, Mm -hmm. therapists, uh, social workers, coaches, human resources, teachers, uh, mindfulness trainers, etc., even for people who are professionally engaged in the uh, realm or, or project of human growth, most of us have historically not at all thought systematically about Mm. how growth happens. And especially, we have not tended to think about what can people do inside their own minds 
to maximize the gain they're they're getting from the experiences they're having. In mm. other words, how can they what can they do in their own minds to steepen their learning curve and grow as much as possible? Mm-hmm. So that that's the context in which I'm going to go into some of the detail Great. here. Yeah. All right. So as we talked about in the last podcast, the learning process has two fundamental aspects. I'm using the word learning very broadly and generally here. Mm-hmm. Uh, One aspect is we want to help an experience uh, be robust and lasting, uh, big in the mind, which involves lots and lots of underlying neural activation that is sustained. And second, we want to turn up the efficiency, the effectiveness, the receptivity of the underlying memory-making machinery in the brain. Mm -hmm. In effect, using the metaphor of the brain as like an iPod, uh, we want to get a really loud song playing for a while. Mm -hmm. That's the experience. And second, we want a super efficient recording apparatus Mm -hmm. that's going to suck every little bit of that useful experience into lasting change of neural structure and function. So these are the two aspects, which I call enriching and absorbing. Enriching, there are five things people can do with the experiences that, that they're having that have an established research basis for maximizing the gain from the experience they're having. Those five things you can do inside your own mind, and you don't need to do all of them, but at least do one of them. First, extend the experience. Help it last for a breath or two or longer. Stay with it. Don't get distracted. Don't let other people uh, rain on your parade. Second factor of enriching is intensity. Mm -hmm. Help the experience be big in your mind, turn up the volume on it, as it were. It's interesting to think about applying intensity to experiences like tranquility, which are fairly subtle, or beliefs, good ideas like, it's not my fault that you're an alcoholic, let's say, in a family. How do you turn up the intensity of those kinds of things? And the way to do it is to utterly give yourself over to it. Mm. So that tranquility or the new idea, this new belief, is what's filling your mind. That's effectively intense. Third, I talk about multimodality. It's a dumb term, but really what it has to do with is having the experience um, have as many rich aspects to it as possible. So if you think of an experience as, in effect, having five major elements that are distinct, any one of which is an opportunity for internalization. Our thoughts, our sensations, our feelings, our desires, and our actions. The more that an experience is felt in the body with a rich emotional element to it, maybe combined with movement, if only it's a shifting in posture or the adopting of a facial expression, in this third factor, multimodality, the more of that you got going, the better. Then to finish, the fourth and fifth factors are novelty. Try to see what's fresh or new about your experience or approach it, let's say, through the eyes of a child. And then last, relevance or salience. Why would it matter to me to really take in this useful feeling or thought or intention? Uh, The more relevant it seems to be, uh, the more we're going to learn and gain from it and the more we're going to take it into ourselves. Okay, so to recap those five very, very quickly. You want to lengthen it. You want to make it intense. You want to try to experience it through as many experiential pathways as possible. You want to make it unique, and you want to make it relevant to your experience. Is that accurate? Yeah, and instead of unique, I would use the word fresh or novel. Fresh, okay, novel. Yeah, Mm -hmm. including bringing qualities of not knowing to the experience Mm -hmm. and open-mindedness 
or qualities of delight. So of those five factors, the one that jumps out to me as being maybe a little bit less immediately understandable than the others would be multimodality. Would you mind describing what you mean by that in maybe slightly more detail or how somebody might do that? Yeah. So let's say that you recognize conceptually that somebody likes you. So right there, you're having, in terms of the five elements of experience, I think of it as like a song. There's the thought track, the perception track, primarily body sensations, etc. Okay, so the thought track is, oh, you like me. That's a nice idea. Mm-hmm. All right. Taking in the idea, the uh, view of reality that somebody likes you, mm-hmm. or maybe it's an image in your mind of people who like mm-hmm. you. Okay, that's good, but it's not very rich. Mm-hmm. And it's going to often, for many people, it's an interesting idea. It doesn't have that felt depth. Exactly to it. right, which is one of the reasons why writing affirmations often doesn't really work. People will write out the idea. Huh. But they don't Mm -hmm. feel anything in particular while they're writing it out. Mm. And they hardly even believe the idea, actually, Mm -hmm. as well. They don't have much conviction about it. Uh, So let's say we have an idea. And then second, in terms of the perception track, in your mind, you could see the face of someone who likes you. Mm -hmm. That's a visual aspect of perception. In particular, in your body, you could focus on the sensation in your body of feeling liked. Mm -hmm. What is it like? to feel liked. As a little bit of a sidebar, this kind of approach I'm describing has the bonus benefit uh, for people of deepening their intimacy with their own experience. Mm, People mm -hmm. become much more mindful of their own experiencing through focusing on these different aspects that are useful and beneficial, which can be taken in, of an experience. Yeah, absolutely. It's certainly a common experience for me, and I think for many people, to understand something intellectually, but not necessarily experience it as a real truth viscerally. Like I might understand intellectually that a person likes me, but there is often a gap between thinking that and feeling that that's filled with, frankly, all kinds of bullshit. And so what you're describing is filling in the gap there in between the thought and the experience. Is that more or less accurate? Yeah, that's right. A way to say it as well uh, comes out of a a comment made, I believe, by Frida Fromm-Reichman in the psychoanalytic tradition in which she said, the patient, the client, Mm. the person does not need a new idea. Mm -hmm. The person needs a new experience. Yeah. I think that's really wonderfully said. Right. True. So let's say back to being liked, okay? Mm -hmm. So let's say you have the idea, you know it's true, actually, Mm -hmm. oh, they do like me. Let's say in terms of multimodality, you move into the perception track. Let's say seeing the faces of people who like you, their warm and caring expression. And let's say also in particular in the perception track of experience, you tune into the body sensations of Mm. feeling liked. All right. Third, the emotion track of experience. Still under the heading of multimodality, you might really tune into or focus on what does it feel like emotionally to be liked? Is there a lovingness in you? Is there a happiness in you? Maybe a relief mm. in you when you feel liked? These are emotional aspects of an experience. Now, in reality, much as in a song, the elements of the song, the the drums, the guitar, the vocals, all kind of blur together. Yeah. But by pulling them apart, teasing them apart, 
uh, it gives you an opportunity to become more mindful about and more uh, skillful with, more dexterous with mm-hmm. your own experiencing. And there's a, another line, differentiate to integrate. Mm. In other words, by teasing apart the threads of the tapestry of experience, then we become more skillful and capable uh, to weave them together. Two other opportunities, really, in multimodality are the motivation track mm-hmm. of our experience. Routinely, in our experience is woven um, intention or values or aims or purposes, desires, motivations, even cravings. Mm-hmm. So, for example, let's say you recognize that someone likes you. Mm-hmm. So now you've moved through, first, the idea of that. Second, the perception of that. Mm-hmm. Third, the emotion of that. Then fourth, what are natural inclinations or desires in you related to being liked? Mm. So for example, there might be a desire to give the person a hug or to lean toward them or to be more forgiving in your own mind about them or to let go of that silly resentment or hassle in your mind about them. Those are uh, elements of the desire aspect of the five major components to experience. Mm. And then last, maybe there's some action. Mm -hmm. Maybe in all this, there is physically a leaning forward. Maybe there's a softening in your face when you feel liked. Maybe your shoulders shift back slightly and your your heart opens. Maybe there's a, a sense in your body of your hand reaching out to the other person. Any one of those is an opportunity. That's Mm. a key point here. Mm -hmm. Our underlying uh, frame is resourcefulness and self-reliance. So we're always looking for what could be the next good low-hanging fruit to take into myself, and how can I also tune into aspects of the experience that maybe were running in the background or could be present in my mind? Uh, How can I tune into those different aspects to maximize the richness and fullness of what sinks into me? Okay, so that's multimodality. So let's stick with this example. You've had that positive experience, that sense of, oh, somebody likes me. You've lengthened that positive experience. You've stuck with it. Wow, they really do like me. Now you've gone into making it try to big in the mind, trying to make it multimodal by experiencing it through those different ways. Could you just take us through the end of the enriching process and describe how you might do the last two steps? Yeah. So then the fourth factor of enriching, uh, novelty. Mm-hmm. The brain is a big novelty detector. What's the news, man? That's how we are. We're little, our animal cousins and ancestors were moving through the wild, always tracking what's new, what's new, what's mm-hmm, new, mm-hmm. friend or foe, threat or opportunity. Yeah. So in terms of novelty, one way to do this is to explore deliberately different aspects of a seemingly familiar experience. Mm. Let's suppose you're trying to help yourself develop more of an attitude of gratitude, mm-hmm. as they say. Mm-hmm. Okay, gratitude is easy to take for granted, but are there different aspects of this experience that you don't normally focus on? And can you uh, attend to different aspects of gratitude, which I'll just make it up. Maybe there's an aspect of gratitude that's an opportunity for you that has to do with a larger, almost philosophical, maybe almost awestruck sense of the vastness of the universe uh, that's been given to us, Mm -hmm. in effect, through the simple event of a human life. Mm. Another way to use novelty to turbocharge the learning process is to keep orienting to the next moment with a sense of surprise or wonder. 
or uh, as looking at it as it's said through the eyes of a child, mm-hmm. or Zen mind, beginner mind. That's another way to work the element of novelty. And then the last way to work the element of novelty is to bring a sense of delight where and, and wonder. Uh, my dad, your grandfather, as you know, one of the sweetest things about him was that he had this capacity uh, that was almost childlike as a senior scientist, a zoologist, mm-hmm. and someone raised in, on a ranch in the Midwest in a very conventional way. He had this capacity to move through life with just tremendous wonder. I remember yeah. traveling with him once in Buenos Aires. Uh, we were there, and he said, look, Rick, look how they do curbs here, which was different <laughs> than what we used to. That's my dad sure, yeah. dripping on curbs, yeah. right, with the eyes of a child. Uh, each moment is new. Each mm-hmm. moment is fresh. As sometimes is said, each moment is a fresh incarnation, in mm-hmm. a sense. So then the last factor of enriching is relevance or salience. And that's a very useful one because um, when we relate to our experiences with a sense of valuing them, what's valuable for me, whoever me is, in this experience? Why would it be personally useful to me, given my issues, let's say, Mm -hmm. to have a chance to feel liked? Mm -hmm. Or why might it be personally relevant to me to have the dawning realization that I'm not such a bad person after all? Mm. Or maybe it would be really useful to realize in, let's say, your tense and awkward relationship with your teenager that, wow, I don't have to solve every problem. Mm. And actually, if I listen more and advise less, things are just going to go a lot better in Mm. our family. Whoa. Why would that be useful to me to have that sink in? So by the way, I'm naming multiple things that have been useful to me in the past to help register, to help them land. So those are the five fundamental factors to enrich an experience, extending the duration, helping it be intense in your mind, tracking as uh, as many elements of it as possible, seeing what's fresh and and new about it, and also recognizing what's personally relevant. Mm -hmm. So in our framework, you've had an experience now you've enriched it, you've made it big and loud in the mind, how do you absorb it into yourself so that you can retain it as that lasting change in your brain? Right. So I want to talk about this both from a so-called third-person perspective, Mm -hmm. kind of from the outside in, objectively what's happening, and then I'll finish by talking about it from a first-person perspective, which has a lot of amazing aspects to it. Mm -hmm. So third-person perspective, you can... Increase the efficiency whereby the structure building, function changing, memory making machinery of your brain operates by first intending to internalize some experience. Research shows that if people intend to remember something or intend to gain from an experience, they're more likely to do so. I remember one time I was traveling in in Hawaii with your mom, and I'm not even sure you were born yet. And I was looking out, uh, we were in Maui, and I was looking out at a sunset, and um, it was staggeringly gorgeous. Mm. And we were definitely there on the shoestring. We were broke, young young people. And just looking at the purples and the colors, the magentas, it was so magnificent. I recall saying to myself, this is a keeper. Mm. I also have had similar experiences on my wedding day where I just go, oh, or when you were born, Forrest, oh, really let this land. 
that kind of intending primes the memory-making machinery of the brain mm -hmm. and makes it more efficient and receptive. Second thing, from the third-person perspective, is to sense that the experience is coming into the body. The more that we tune into the internal sensations of the body, mm -hmm. the more we tend to activate the insula. It's a key part of the brain on the inside of the temporal lobes that does what's called interoception, mm -hmm. tuning into your internal sensations like breathing or your sensations in your belly, as well as things like gut feelings. Mm -hmm. The more that we engage interoception, as we are having experiences, the more they tend to leave lasting traces behind, mm -hmm. the more we get the insula involved. And then the third thing from the outside in is very cool. If a person attends to what's rewarding in an experience, and also as a person uh, focuses on what is meaningful about it, maybe it's not so much a sensual kind of experience or a really positive emotion, but it's meaningful, the more that a person does that, that tends to increase activity of dopamine as well as norepinephrine, two neurotransmitter systems. And as activity of those neurotransmitter systems increases in the hippocampus, a key part of the brain that's really at the front end of a lot of the development, healing, learning process, mm -hmm. as dopamine and norepinephrine activity increase in the hippocampus, that flags our experiences as keepers. And it flags them for protection as they gradually are consolidated over multiple days into long-term storage in the neocortex. Mm -hmm. Now, that's the outside in. <laughs> sure. The inside out, I find, is actually really quite profound because it is a challenge to our conventional and common relationship to our own experience. I think especially in Western cultures that emphasize what's called instrumentalism, in which we are relating to the world as if we are acting upon it. We are doing things to it. Now, there's a place for that. There's certainly a place for building houses and building businesses and trying to reach into the minds of others and influence them in good ways. Fine. But that orientation that's so instrumental is at odds with the receptivity and the vulnerability mm. And the kind of attitude of surrendering to your experience as it is mm -hmm. that turbocharges the learning process and aids the process of absorbing. And it's actually quite remarkable to have a sense of experience coming into you, changing you a little bit, being brave enough, in other words, needing to be brave enough to be willing to be changed a little for the better. And so experientially, it can feel like the experience of feeling liked or being grateful or being resolved and determined in a certain kind of way, whatever it is, mm -hmm. that that experience is sifting down into you like a gentle rain, maybe sinking down into deeper, younger, more fundamental parts of yourself, or maybe that the experience is coming into you like water into a sponge or like warmth spreading into your hands as you hold a cup of hot chocolate on a cold day, mm. or with children or adults too. Sometimes I'll use the metaphor of placing a jewel in the treasure chest of your heart. So that's a keeper. There can also be a sense of giving yourself over to the experience, letting it have you, letting it inhabit you. Here I'm talking about helping 
and certainly allowing the beneficial experience to occupy you, mm, to mm-hmm. come into you and become you increasingly. And so that increasingly, in effect, you are lived by the residues of that beneficial experience more and more as you go through your day. I think that part of what you're pointing to here is a different way to engage with our experiences. Mm -hmm. And it's definitely something that I've felt change in me over time Mm. as I've interacted with this kind of stuff a Mm -hmm. lot of, um, some just by virtue of being your kid. Yeah. As you go through this process of learning what an experience can do for you in a long-term sense, all of a sudden you start approaching experiences a little bit differently. You start having more of those moments like you were talking about in Hawaii where you looked at the sunset and you were like, wow, I should really get everything I possibly can out of this moment. Is that more or less accurate? It's true that often we're in a state of flow. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important a lot to just be in flow. You're just mm-hmm. having the experience. It's just yeah. fine. It's uh, the kinds of things we're talking about in here, in my view, in a day in which you're really trying to bring a, a fair amount of deliberateness and skillful effort to the, your experiences over the course of the day, on a really big day, it would be less than 10 minutes. If you really mm-hmm. added up all the little intervals in which people are yeah. enriching and absorbing uh, in the ways that we've described here. That said, thinking about you as a dancer, I'm sure there are many moments in which you're in flow, you're in the mm-hmm. flow of it. And I suspect afterward, do you do little things where, in effect, you do retroactive rehearsal, where you go back? Yes, over. sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. And it's effective to do that. You go back over what you did in terms of motor memory, mm-hmm. a certain movement, a certain posture, a certain way of doing things that you did. And I suspect you register them. You mm-hmm. kind of help them land inside you. So y- you're gained from this opportunity to become an incrementally skillful dancer right there is most maximally realized. Yeah. So can you talk about that? Yeah. I think that. It's it's an interesting example, because when you're in any kind of performative state, I used to perform music fairly regularly, now I dance pretty regularly, I think that it's useful to be in as close as you can reasonably get to what people refer to as a flow state, mm-hmm. where they're just experiencing the experience, they're trying to live in the moment, you've done the work up to that point that gets yeah. you your technique, and then in the moment, you just kind of have to rely on that technique. But it's totally true that after the fact, you play that video back in your head many, many, many times, and you try to find all the little moments where you're like, oh, that was really good. Or alternatively, oh, I could have done that one a little bit differently. Yeah. And then let me interrupt you. Oh, yeah, go ahead. So Mm -hmm. when you're in the, when you retroactively Mm -hmm. rehearse, and you're kind of helping it stabilize inside you, Mm -hmm. oh, that was a good way to do that. In that moment, what are you experiencing? Are you probably experiencing somatically in your body, probably speeded up? What the better action would have felt like? Or what the, what mm-hmm. the useful action did feel like? Yeah, absolutely. I think that we do both. I yeah. think that we, we feel what the useful action did feel like, and you kind of register that, and you go, oh, okay. And you just find the little things that either felt really good, and you do kind of feel that, that position yeah. sinking into you and, yeah. and becoming 
you know, increasingly, if you're if you're good at learning, to your point, yeah. a part of your overall technique. So I think that that's absolutely true on a physical level. And so what you're describing here is that we can do those same things that we do, whether it's rehearsing dancing or yeah. rehearsing music or getting better at painting. We can do that psychologically as well. Totally. And so much. There's a term from Antonio Damasio called somatic markers. Mm. It's this idea that so much learning and Jean Piaget, the great psychologist about cognitive development, pointed out that the foundation of learning is sensory motor. Mm. And that's really true for seemingly sophisticated adult learning, like how to run a meeting better, mm-hmm. or how to shift in your attitude toward your own mind. Very often, if people actually observe their uh, better ways of being or operating, there are subtle physical sensations that are related to them, little tightening in their face related mm-hmm. to a different attitude about something, or a shift of posture, or there's kind of an activation of sensation in a particular part of their body mm-hmm. that's associated with that uh, useful way of being. A fancy term for that is embodied cognition. So much of what seems like purely conceptual is actually has a rich associated underlying uh, sensory and emotional track. And tuning more into that sensory emotional track Mm. can really help you strengthen your more conceptual approaches to things. That's a real game changer for people when they realize that they can relate to becoming more courageous or becoming more mindful or becoming more compassionate the same way that they relate to learning how to play a scale on the piano better. Yeah, or ski. Yeah, or sure. use chopsticks. Mm-hmm. Or Whatever. Drive a car. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Any kind of skill you're trying to develop essentially means that something in your brain changed. Yep. There there was some pathway that changed, some neuron connected to some other neuron in a different way. I don't pretend to be a cognitive scientist. Yeah. But, you know, simplistically, for us to be able to use chopsticks, something changes in your brain. Yeah. For us to be mindful, something changes in your brain. And it's just about registering what are the elements of experience that we can take into ourselves to create that change. Would you say that's more or less accurate? I'm saying you said it really eloquently. (laughs) Well, thank you. I appreciate that. So I think that that's probably a pretty good point at which to stop this episode. We covered a lot of ground there in terms of describing the enriching and absorbing aspects of the learning process. For me, there are maybe three big takeaways. The first big takeaway is the elements of enriching, what we can do to make an experience really salient in the mind. Lengthen it, make it loud, make it multimodal, make it unique, as I believe was the word that you... Novel. Novel. Yeah, Yeah. novel, and make it important to us. Then there are the aspects of absorbing that you can go through, and you gave a lot of really good metaphors for that, whether it's kind of putting the jewel inside the treasure chest in the heart, you know, really sinking into the experience like a stone through water, really help an experience land and absorb in your body. And then finally, that idea that approach the experiences in your day as opportunities to learn. You don't have to approach all of them that way. As you were saying, maybe in the course of your 24-hour day, you're spending five or 10 minutes on this, but it's a really, really valuable five or 10 minutes. So I think that's a great place to end. Um, Next week, we're going to be looking at the value of key resource experiences, this idea that we all have different unique needs. So it makes sense for us to go out of our way to find the unique experiences that would really help those unique needs. Until then, thanks for listening. 